At Thanksgiving 2017, a cousin of mine pulled me aside and she said, if you and George want to do surrogacy, I want to pay for it. We took the money <laughs> and we found a surrogate. Her name is Kaylee. She lives in Nevada. She has two of her own kids and she's been a surrogate once before. So she is a pro. Kaylee got pregnant on the very first try because she is such a pro. And on February 17th, 2019, George and I were in Nevada for the birth. At 8 a.m., they induced her. And at 11.47 a.m., she gave birth to our son. And then they placed him up against my bare chest, and I cupped his tiny feet in my left hand and his tiny butt in my right. And finally, after eight years, I was holding my baby son, and I was a mother. Welcome to IVFU, a podcast about the pain, joy, angst, and love of trying to make a family the new-fashioned way. I'm your host, Sam Shaber, and that was me you just heard performing a story about the moment I finally became a mother. And I'm a freak in love, a freak in love with you. Today is our very special season one finale. Darwin's finally arrived, and you'll be listening as surrogate Kaylee and I compare notes from our whole birth experience to what happened afterwards. And it all starts with a well-deserved glass of vino. How are you doing? You're drinking your wine. You're enjoying yourself. Oh, yeah. I'm making some BLTs and (gasps) drinking wine. Oh, my God. That's a Saturday. Okay. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hi, Kaylee. Hi. (laughs) Um, So my initial plan was for us to have the birth because we spoke just before like I think really like three weeks before the birth and then I thought it would be so cool like maybe a month after once you've recovered and once we kind of have our baby thing on we'll like get back together and I just looked at the calendar and it has been nine months since we did (laughs) the first part of this interview so that is first of all word of warning to any aspiring podcasters out there that who knew it takes this long to edit a series of podcast interviews, especially with a small child. Um, (laughs) I I was just telling Ben, I think she didn't realize that having a baby is a lot of work. (laughs) I know. Oh, seriously. (laughs) I've just had more time, more time to perfect things, which a Virgo always wants to have. So it works out fine. Okay. Seriously, (laughs) though, he's so sweet. He is very cute. Every time... Every time I see a picture of him, I'm like, oh, my God, I have to show everybody I know. <laughs> You're like, I helped with that. I did. I grew I him. Well, and I can lay no claim because it was also an egg donor. So I guess, you know, when you genetically engineer a child. <laughs> but tell me out. why he looks like you. I can't. OK, help, but this is my theory is because. George and I actually look a lot alike, which is very embarrassing. (laughs) And so Darwin looks like George. And so he looks like me too. Yeah. He looks like you. Like, yeah, he looks, he just fits in. You guys are like, you all look like each other and it's the cutest. (laughs) It's sort of embarrassing, but it's true. It's It's true. 
<laughs> so I just wanted to go back. Last time we talked to you, you were eight and a half months pregnant. You had a little less pep in your step, oh. a little less shaken in your bacon. <laughs> um, so I wanted to kind of run down how the birth went for everyone. He was born in a snowstorm on a Sunday. So the hospital was like almost empty. I mean, I felt like we were the only people there. <laughs> Yes. So my doctor is the best doctor. I love her. She actually, they don't do um, inductions on Sundays. Right. And she went out of her way to make sure that we were able to get it on a Sunday because she was going to be there on call. And she really wanted to be the one that delivered him. She was very excited about it. So wow. that's why it was so quiet there. It was so quiet. And it was a huge snowstorm, which in Carson City in Nevada was like gorgeous. Like, and mm -hmm. that hospital, it's a brand new building, and the windows are these giant round windows and all these skylights that look out at the mountains. And so, like, you were in the bed, but I was up and down from the room and going to the cafe and stuff and looking out those windows. And it was just like such a beautiful moment for this baby to be born. It really yes, it is beautiful. I think I forget because I've been here for 20 years and oh. I see it every year. And I guess I just forget to look at it, but it is beautiful when you stop to really take it in. It's like an Ansel Adams photo. And then it, you know, it was very quiet and everyone was so excited that we were doing what we were doing. They just thought it was fascinating. And George and I went on Friday afternoon to register and we're sitting at the desk with Judy and Rita. At the registration you remember desk. Their I name. do That's because so we had this long <laughs> conversation with them because everyone was like confused but also fascinated because I'm the mom, but you're pregnant, but Ben's not the dad, George is the dad, but George and I have different <laughs> last names, and Darwin's gonna be hyphenated, and no one's ever heard of none of us have normal names even to begin with. So like <laughs> no one knows how to spell Shaber, no one knows how to spell Straighten, no one knows how to spell Darwin, because we made it with a Y. And like your last names are unusual, like the entire thing. When like the woman in the gift shop was fascinated by the whole story and, you know, the nurses in the maternity ward were so nice. There were two nurses named Rhonda, which like, what more could you ask for? <laughs> so it was really, a, it was such a special experience. And then of course, the fact that we kind of all shared it together so yes you know you were in the bed ben was filming everything which was hilarious um because george and i were way too out of it to be thinking about that at that point yeah. so and i think we all knew that so we've all i mean we've all been through this right. and it was your first time and you you guys were I mean, it, it's to be expected, but we all were like, we have to make sure we do these things for them because we know they'll appreciate it later. It's, a, it's like you're throwing us a birth party or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so amazing. And then, so you were in the bed and there were some nurses around you. And when the time came, the doctor came in and they put me in a chair and I had been in, it's so funny because I'd been instructed to wear a shirt that opens at the front so we could uh -huh. do the skin on skin. And in the week or 
to leading up to the birth, I realized I don't own a shirt that opens to the front. <laughs> like I just don't wear collared shirts. All my clothes are either pullover dresses or t-shirts or I just don't, I think I just look weird and button down collared shirts. <laughs> And I tried to buy one and I was like shopping and thinking my special shirt that opens at the front that will be like my shirt for Darwin's birth. And then I just don't look good in those shirts. So I never found one. So we get to Nevada and I'm wearing George's shirt. So you, as per your goal, as you stated at the end of our interview, you look fabulous. You have your makeup done. Your hair looks great. It's 545 <laughs> in the morning and you are pregnant as all get out, but you have like done all your beauty work <laughs> and you were also wearing your keep calm i'm the surrogate t-shirt which i still can't believe fit you when you're about to give birth that's amazing it was stretchy it was stretched yeah <laughs> and there's a picture of us which i'm going to put on our instagram or maybe on the website or both um so people can go look for it of right before the birth you in your t-shirt and me in this huge men's shirt that looks super weird on me that i like i tied it at the waist like that was my fashion statement <laughs> it didn't work it was um, beautiful. I was trying. So anyway, so we so I sat in the chair and George stood by me. At first, I didn't know where to look because <laughs> I didn't want to invade your space. You know, like we are on the other side of you when this is happening, which is the way it works in a surrogacy birth. But then it sort of very quickly, I think it actually helped that Ben was taking photos because I was like, okay, if Ben is taking photos for the public record, I can mm -hmm. look at what's happening. You know, like this yes. is no longer private. I mean, it's private for all of us, but it's not, you know, we're right. allowed well, to look. And I invited you guys in there because I don't care. I've done it so many times right. that I'm like, whatever. So many people have seen it. I allowed nurses that were in school to come in and there was like 10 nurses watching my first surgery. Legacy oh my god delivery so i'm like well you know at least half the population seen it it's fine <laughs> but it's also really beautiful because you're not you're doing it because it's helping people like it's mm -hmm. helping us to see our child born it's helping nurses in training to see how it works and you know it's all like it's not like you're an exhibitionist like you're you know you're it's the yeah. same <laughs> it's the same part of you that got into surrogacy in the first place is what Absolutely. i'm thinking yeah um and it was interesting too because once I was watching, it really was just another part of the whole experience, you know, the contractions. And you had warned me that you would be very focused and very kind of concentrating on everything when this was happening. And that was exactly what it was. I remember you were like gripping the bar of the side of the oh, bed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, just very, I wouldn't say you were serious, but you were, you were very focused and you were like, we're yep. doing this I'm thing. I'm quiet. Yeah. I'm focused. I don't want people to talk to me. Yeah. And I, and I like the sound of people talking in the background that people are going on with their life. And I just, I don't know, it brings me comfort to know there's people there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have to focus and I don't like being touched. Like I just, I just have to do me. You just have to <laughs> totally, you have to do your thing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I definitely felt like we were all in agreement on that. Like, I think we were even making small talk to kind of keep the vibe going, but yes. I don't remember what we were talking about. Um, I was freaked I don't out either. as well. I don't remember any, <laughs> anything you guys were talking about, but I know that I liked the chatter going on in the background and oh, good. 
yeah, it was a good experience. There was good vibes. It definitely was good vibes. Definitely. It helped that the doctor was so wonderful and the hospital was so wonderful too. Yes. And, and I will say it's sort of, I had so much anxiety over all of it. And being there with you guys, it was really, I remember you said that your first surrogate parents, intended parents, you were ready to check out before they were and she didn't want you to leave. She was like, no, I need you to stay with me. Yes. And I felt very much the same way. I was like, <laughs> thank God Kaylee and Ben are here. Like it just made Aww. everything better. It was like every, such a stressful experience. Also, because as we talked about the last time, there's so many triggers for me around pregnancy and maternity and birth and baby, not babies really actually, but you know, all those other pieces of, of womanhood that I can't succeed at. And so having you there and, and Ben, honestly, like, and your mom and your kids, like it was like a big group experience that night. And it was just so wonderful to feel supported and feel like we really felt like we were part of your family for that night. Yeah. It was amazing. And so well, we, you are, you I are know. part of our family. We like are. we were like, okay, we're doing our Christmas cards. We got to put Sam and George on the list. And, oh. and when Brett graduated, we're like, we got to make sure we send one to them. Cause I, I mean, we've spent a big chunk of our life together and even though we don't live near each other like we have a bond that people other people just won't ever have so. I know and that's exactly how it felt it was like only so when when Darren was actually born it was the four of us in the room and then I feel like within five minutes your mom came in the room. she so was like chomping at the bit. story <laughs> my mom knows me very well that was my fourth time giving birth and um, Ben texted her and said, she's at a seven. And my mom said, oh, I'm on my way because my mom knows. Like, <laughs> I go very fast once I pass that five oh, centimeter mark. Okay. So she's like, I'm on my way. And she said that when she walked in, she thought he was already going to be born at that point because she knows how quickly that. <gasps> yeah that I go so she just stood in the doorway and she was very quiet and she wanted to try to just get pictures for you guys so you, I don't think you knew but she was standing right behind you guys. oh my god that's so fun no I didn't know she was there I knew she yeah, so she, she like she magically like, appeared very quickly yeah, after he came she out she barely but... made it and she Aww. just stood there quietly and I'm glad she made pictures it. so me too oh, that's so good yeah so we so we're sitting there and it was so funny because he started I think it was Ben said when the moment really starts, when the birth really starts, it's like suddenly this the room is transformed into a birthing room and they like push yep. the table in and they put on the mask and they and it was literally like that. Like I felt like I was on the set yes. of like Star Wars all of a sudden. It gets um <laughs> it gets overwhelming. Like there's so many nurses and there's so many people. There's like somebody on standby in case something goes wrong. Like it's there's like twenty nurses it seems like in there and they move the bed down and all of a sudden it's like oh my god this is happening and then in my mind I'm like oh god I don't want to do this again <laughs> oh like as that's happening suddenly I remember what it feels like and I'm like no thank uh, you can I go backwards <laughs> yeah and, the, and also the fact that like Dr. Peterson moves in and she's not a large woman she's pretty petite and she yeah. moves in and she suddenly got like 
all these blue hospital gown things on that kind of flare out in every direction. And she's got this like space age helmet on. It's not a helmet. It's like a plastic mask and yeah, her face. It's a splash mask. A splash. Thank you. Splash mask. And I mean, she literally looked like an astronaut and she's like standing yeah. there. And then she was sort of <laughs> facing you, facing your legs and like rocking side to side, like a, like someone about to catch a winning home run pitch or something, you know, like she was like rocking back and forth and like waiting and rocking and rocking. And so, and then his head starts to peek out. And at first it's really small. Like it was like the size of like a peach or something. I mean, it was Uh very, and I thought that was it. And I was like, gosh, I guess babies really are small. Like this is tiny. (laughs) Like I'm picturing like a half a pound baby. And of course he keeps coming and he keeps coming. And then, you know, he came all the way out and they had George cut the cord and then they they did place him on my chest and we sat there and we have a video from like that first moment when he was on my chest. Uh-huh. And, and it was really like the flood of emotions for me was kind of crazy because it was relief and it was fear and it was anxiety. I actually had a lot of anxiety and I actually wound up having postpartum for a few weeks afterwards, which is bizarre because I didn't actually give birth, but I, it's not, it's, I mean, depression is real no matter what, no matter what you've been through or your circumstances and having a new baby is so hard Either way, like even if you adopt, you can get depression because I think people don't really understand how needy a newborn is. Yeah. And how, you know, I thought I was going to have this rush of love that would erase everything that had gone before. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what the world tells you is going to happen. And that does happen to many, probably most women, Um, but it doesn't happen to all women. And so the rush of love didn't come. And then I'm panicking because, again, I went to that place of this is while I'm sitting there, by the way, smiling for the camera. So there's a lot that you can't see in these pictures. (laughs) But I'm sitting there holding this tiny, tiny little person after seven, eight years at this point of trying to make Mm -hmm. this happen and turning my whole life upside down. And, and there's no rush of love. So now I'm completely panicked because I'm deciding, oh my God, it's true. I wasn't meant to be a mom. And this was, well, really I was there and I'm like, this was a huge mistake. Oh my God, what did I just do? And I'm, and then I'm like holding him and smiling and making small talk and pretending that I'm like, it's, it was really traumatic. <laughs> but this is another reason why I was so glad that you guys were there because you guys were such a stabilizing presence. And, you know, because you had been through it before and because you're so comfortable as a mom and you're, you know, you have so much love for children in general. And, and it just, it was so stabilizing to have you guys there. And I remember, you know, I held him for an hour and it felt weird. Like I thought it would feel natural and it didn't. And I didn't know if I was doing it right. And then at one point they sort of, I was holding him like sideways almost like the way you would like present someone a statue or something right and they were like no no you need chest against chest like it has to be as much of him touching as much of you as possible because it regulates the temperature so I remember they came and kind of turned him towards me and in my mind I'm like oh I was doing it wrong you know sort of like this thing in my head and then 
So the hour was up and we handed him to George and he held him for a little while. And so then we, we passed little baby Darwin around the room and everyone got to uh-huh. hold him and Ben held him and your mom held him and each of the girls held him and which was so cute. We have pictures of everything. And then we gave him to you. And I remember I'm still sitting in my chair, like traumatized. And I saw him <laughs> with you. I saw him with you. And I was like, Oh, like that's how, like, I just, I almost wanted to just like give him to you and run away because I was so freaked out. I know that was my fear too, because I'm, I am like, I've given birth, you know, four times and I've had two children and I've done this baby thing and I work for CPS. So I'm holding people's babies all the time and it really just comes naturally to me. And I was so afraid that if I held him, I was, that you were going to feel negative in any way and I know I well did not want that to happen I was already all. feeling negative so you didn't have anything to do <laughs> <laughs> and I'm only I go into this not to be like TMI I mean it is a podcast so there's no such thing as TMI but mm-hmm. um, I actually did a story at a story show a few months ago about this so I feel I feel like it's important to talk about because I didn't know that someone could go through this. I just thought the minute the baby comes out, you know, pop the champagne, it's flowers <laughs> and joy and love forever after. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen to me that way. And so every day for like six weeks or more, I put him in the carrier and I would face him out so he could see the world. And I would walk mm-hmm. him all over LA. And we went to the farmer's market. We went to the beach. We went to West Hollywood. We went to Melrose Place. We went up to the Sunset Strip, went to the West Hollywood <laughs> Library. Like literally he went out, we went out to lunch together. Like I had him on me and he was so tiny that I would sort of put my hands like in front of his face to kind of prop him up a little bit mm-hmm. on the carrier. And after a couple of days, he would take one of each of my fingers in his hands, like handlebars. Aww. Yeah. So he was like riding around on me, like gripping the handlebars that were my <laughs> fingers. And we walked all over LA like this. And I would see us in store windows, like the reflection. And that was when I finally began to really feel connected because I saw us in the window and I was like, okay, like I'm still me. I still have pink hair. I still have weird clothes. I have this little baby. We're sharing this experience every day. I'm showing him my world. Like it was, it was kind of amazing. And, and that was how I worked my way through the postpartum, um, and now we're good as gold. He's my buddy. Yeah, so. <laughs> of course. And I, I would have never known. I mean, yeah, I'm a good actor. Not like we, we didn't talk very often, but you know, all the pictures and everything you were sending me, I, yeah, I would have never. Known I know, and, I, and it wasn't like, ooh, what is this thing? It was just like I was waiting for that feeling that everyone talks about. I was waiting for that connection. And yeah. I think also, you know, people had said for for a long time, even four or five years ago when we moved on to egg donors and people were saying, oh, but once you have the baby, he's yours, he's yours. You won't even think about it anymore. You won't even, you know, oh, I know it's a surrogate, but it's not going to matter that you weren't pregnant. And, and in those first few weeks or months, 
everything mattered. Like everybody said it wouldn't matter and it mattered and it came out of left field. And so all I could think about was how I hadn't been pregnant and I hadn't carried him and it wasn't my egg and he wasn't going to look like me and I couldn't, well, and he does, that's the irony, but (laughs) I know it's so funny. (laughs) And I couldn't predict what was going to happen based on anything that had ever been part of my decision-making or, you know, I couldn't know if he was going to like music. I couldn't know if he was going to like tuna salad, you know, or any of these things that we go, you know, like we base it off George, but we don't base it off me. And well, and I can tell you, he loves music because anytime music was on, he was dancing like a fool. He loves to dance. He still loves to dance. So yeah, you're not wrong. Crazy. He really loves Elton John. I'm just saying. Oh, I haven't tried Elton John. Okay. Elton John. Anytime I played Elton John, he was getting so crazy that it would hurt. Oh, no. Did you try Prince? Because he seems to be quite a fan. I didn't. Okay. (laughs) Do you have a father? I mean, any type of father? Then you're going to want to hear a new series called Tell Me About Your Father. It's all about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Tell Me About Your Father aims to unpack all facets of the father, the loving, the ambivalent, the supportive, the irresponsible, the wealthy, the living, the dead. (laughs) These are the fathers who built us up and, well, let us down. It's free therapy, but funnier and just as deep. Tell Me About Your Father Season 1 is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Yeah, so it was really, it was just such an amazing experience. And then we had our own room in the maternity ward just down the hall. And so we put him in his little glass box and we, on his little push cart, and we like pushed him down the hall. And then I remember after a while, I think Ben came to get us and was like, do you guys want to come hang out with us? I think he brought you milk that I had. Oh yeah, that's right. Because you were pumping for the colostrum. Right. So Darwin did get the colostrum, which was great. Yeah, he brought it down and he was, I think he was like, do you guys want to come hang out in our room? We were like, yes! Because <laughs> we were in this like random room by ourselves. I mean, it I was, know. you know, perfectly nice. It's what it was supposed to be, but it was... And I couldn't figure out if I didn't want to bother you guys because I really <laughs> wanted to be around you, but I wanted to give you space. And so I was like, I'm not going to bug them, but I do want to see them. And so I was like, oh, I'll just... Ben Ben took care of everything. He did. He did. Well, and (laughs) literally we were feeling exactly the same way. We were like, we don't want to bother her because we know that she's recovering, but we really want to go in there with, because in our little room, we were just like wrapped up in all our anxieties and I was crying. I mean, it was a mess. (laughs) Like just to say to anyone out there having a baby, like it might be the most amazing moment and it might be more conflicted than you think. So, but it all is fine. (laughs) That is what I wish I had known going into it. Yeah, that it'll Um, all be all right. (laughs) Yeah, it's all, I mean, he is so fantastic. We're having such a good time. and, And I think also, honestly, I didn't even have the physical trauma. Like it's one thing to have postpartum and be physically not at 100% because you just gave birth. And I didn't have that part of it. So I probably came through it quite a bit faster, I would think, than women who've given birth. But it does feel like it's the big secrets that still nobody really talks about. And it's Mm -hmm. very shameful. You know, I feel guilty telling this story because now it's like out there in the world recorded and I don't want 
Darwin necessarily to think I didn't want him when he was born, like if he hears this someday. But on the other hand, I feel like I love him so much now and like it doesn't affect anything that's happening now. And it's so important and helpful for women going through it to know that it's a real thing that happens. And Absolutely. After I had Harlow, she was my first. I was a single mom. I knew that how I was supposed to feel and what I was supposed to do. And I put on this happy face and I smiled and I, you know, tried my hardest. And as days went by, I'm like, I know I have postpartum depression, but it's taboo. And I'm not telling anybody that I feel this way. And I went several months before I actually got help. And I got to a point where I basically handed her to my mom and said, I can't do this. Mm. Please take care of my child for me. And so what Harlow doesn't know still to this day is that my mom took care of her for like the first six, seven months of her life because I had this awful depression Mm. and I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should love my child. And I felt resentment and I felt all these things. And, um, I finally went and saw a doctor and got help and got on antidepressants. And I was like, Oh, right. This is how it's supposed to feel. And it was in me the whole time. I just didn't know that I actually was suffering with a mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. It changes your whole world. It does. I mean, for me, it felt like it really felt like an outside force, like because I'm a pretty positive person overall all the time Um, or optimistic, I should say. And, you know, I've had a lot of loss in my life and, and it's still I've kind of come through it with this sort of indefeatable optimism. And but when this when the depression would move in, it really it felt like a black cloud kind of just taking over and it didn't feel like me at all. I felt I just felt like the world was over which is exactly what you're describing. Yeah, it's a impen- so I actually suffered from postpartum depression from this pregnancy as well. Oh, you did. Um, yeah, and I am on um antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication still to this day. Wow. Um it started as soon as I stopped pumping. And I oh. and I kind of got this like I'm done. This is the last time I'm doing this. I'm never going to pump again. I'm never going to nourish a child from my body. I'm never going to be pregnant again. And it just all hit me at one time. And I, and I can always tell, and Ben can always tell when Mm. I'm getting into a depression. Um, and he even was like, so I need to talk to you. I think you need to probably go see your doctor and I'm like I know I already made an appointment (laughs) so great minds um, think alike yeah yeah so I went in I talked to Dr. Peterson she's like let's get you on you know Celexa it's worked for you before and so I'm still on it to this day and you know I have mental illness in it I've had it my entire life since I was five years old. I was diagnosed with major depression and anxiety. And I have, you know, there's a lot of other mental illness in my family. So it was inevitable that what it would happen to me. And And how important that you didn't self-medicate, but you went to a doctor and got a diagnosis. And yeah, I absolutely believe in getting help when you need it. Like it's not a taboo mental health. And mental illness is a real thing and it happens to a lot of people. And it's so sad to me that 
people are ashamed of it. It's a crime in general that people can't get the help that they need. Right. So after the birth, so we talked a bit about how you felt after your first surrogacy experience. Was this one different? Did you feel, I mean, the first time you said you sort of felt suddenly like you weren't important anymore. <laughs> Did you have no. any of those feelings or you can be honest? <laughs> no, I, I felt great this time. And I think it's because I knew with my first intended parents, they were very quiet and mm. kept to themselves and they didn't, you know, chat with me often. And I just knew that they weren't really going to keep me in the loop very often. Where with you guys, I knew that this was going to be like a long-term lifelong relationship that we have. And it made me feel a lot better about everything where I actually was able to sleep that night and know I was going to like wake up and still feel good about everything. Oh, that's good. Now, how did your girls do? Because I know the last time, you, you know, we were the first surrogacy, you bought a doll for Harlow. And now you were wondering how Harper was going to figure this all out. So they both have done so great. They're very understanding of everything, which is so weird because you don't think that a four-year-old would be understanding of yeah, things. Yeah, that's very advanced. Yeah. And they, you know, they have their dolls that you got them and they still love playing with them and they're little mommies and yeah so what we did was I took a cue <laughs> from your story of when your first surrogate baby was born and I went to everyone's favorite store American Girls doll store I don't even know the full name of it um yep that's it okay <laughs> and I walked in and I said I told him the whole story. I said, we have a surrogate. She's giving birth. She has two daughters. We need a boy doll. Do you have any boy dolls? And they said, well, we have these babies that depending on which outfit you put them in, they can be a girl or a boy. And I was like, mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So we gave them each a doll. And at first they both named them Darwin after Darwin. And uh -huh. then wasn't it Harper decided hers was a girl? Yeah. yeah. Harper doesn't like <laughs> boys. That's so funny. So, so we had yes. come with both outfits. So she put the girl outfit back on and then she named it Darlene. So <laughs> now there's Darwin and Darlene. And I and before he was born, she was calling him George because she was confused about the fact Very. that George yes. was my husband. So obviously that stopped as soon as he materialized, <laughs> I'm guessing. Yes, that was so I forgot about that. That's so funny. <laughs> and then after so we, we had our birth and then we had our birth night and then we all hung out again in the morning and had a little breakfast together back in your room you you guys had the big room so we got to hang out in there and then you did check out before we did you guys were like raring to go so I remember you said goodbye yeah to him. I was just uncomfortable I missed my kids a lot and it just yeah you it was I don't time know. I don't I don't love to be in a hospital yeah and um, I just miss my kids. That was the main thing is I just wanted them to be present with me. So it was hard for me to be away from both of them. Do you think that so was because long. you had given birth or you would have missed them anyway? Um, I would have missed them anyway. Yeah. It's like you know, Ben and I will go on vacation, just the two of us. And we need that because every parent needs that. I will be like, goodbye. <laughs> like, I don't want to see you guys anymore. And then we are like five minutes out and I'm like, I miss them. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because Darwin goes to bed at seven ish every night and 
you know, I would say from 5.30 to 7 is the longest part of the day because you're sort of mm-hmm. done, but he's not done. And you want to yes. keep like, yeah. I want to keep being a good parent and stay engaged and not just check my phone and whatever. And so we're reading books and we're playing, but I'm like done. And then we finally, you know, we do the bath. We top him off, as we say, we give him a little more milk and then we put him in bed. And like within 10 minutes, I'm like sneaking back in there and looking at him in the crib because I I sort of like miss him and I keep going back in. Yeah, (laughs) it's weird. Um, And then we went to our hotel. This was the following night and you guys all came over and we had like one more party in our hotel room. Because I was pumping like a crazy person right and i was like look we have some colostrum do you want it because we'll come see you and honestly i think ben really was i think it was hard for ben just the whole thing in general because he was very supportive but i don't think he realized how hard it would be and when we were leaving the hospital he's like it's very strange to leave a hospital where my wife had a baby and we're not leaving with a baby so he like wanted to see darwin and you and both of you and so Mm. he's like well we have claustrum let's go see them you know and he came again the next day (laughs) yes he did he brought milk over very yeah um i've been through it before and so i felt like i was you know i'm a little further and as as far as how I feel about being a surrogate but this was Ben's first experience with it and he loves his children and babies in general and so I think it was definitely harder on him than he expected it to be. That's so interesting because you know you think about the surrogate as the woman but the husband of the woman also is a surrogate in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like he's like a surrogate dad for that nine ten months and then you give birth and walk away and he's like oh like because he never really also you had the physical contact with that baby the entire time and he had that moment of getting to hold darwin a couple times in the hospital mm-hmm. but then that's it that's the end of darwin for him so right i could see how that could be actually very emotional i hadn't even really i thought he would just be relieved <laughs> to like, yeah no and, yeah. and i didn't really think about it that whole time either until we were leaving and he almost seemed so sad oh. like our drive home was very quiet and it was like mm. okay what just happened <laughs> right i bet that's and super I'm weird sitting they're like i'm fine i'm glad i'm not pregnant anymore like i'm golden and he's just kind of like I want to go see them again. <laughs> oh, and so then for several months, how many months did you pump for us? Four months, I think. I think so. It was a long time. Yeah. What's happening at your end while that's going on? Um, it's it's a lot of work. It was every three hours, two to three hours, on the dot. Um, you know, I was in school at the time, so I was taking my whole pump backpack with all of the things and the ice packs. And, you know, I would in between, you know, I'd have a break. So I'd run to my car and pump really quick and then run back into class. And we wanted to go to wine walks and I'd be like, okay, well, I can't drink right now because I'm pumping. Then Ben would be sitting there with bourbon. and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I need a glass of wine right now. But it's so worth it because I knew, one, I knew I was giving him all of these great nutrients and vitamins and things that he wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And 
the other thing is I lost weight like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I lost 60 pounds in four months from <gasps> hunting. Oh my gosh. I have gained 20 of it back, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> and the pumping keeps you almost sane. It's like, I was going to say, what, does it help hormonally as well? Yes. Yeah. It's what you're meant to do as a mother. So me doing the pumping was keeping my depression at bay. Mm. So as soon as I stopped, it was like a light switch. And I went into the postpartum depression pretty quickly after I would say maybe a week. Wow. Wow. That's and you, and it probably is more shocking because at that point, it's been a while since the birth. So you don't expect it to suddenly appear right. out of nowhere. Yes. Yeah, it appeared out of nowhere. And I was sitting here pumping and it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I think I just started like crying because I'm like, I had to grieve that this wow. was the final, the final pump. The final time I was going to do it and it was my last pump and I was like so upset about it. Do you feel that way right now as you're talking about it? No, 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 not at all. Okay. And it's so funny how your hormones do that to you. But yeah, I had to actually grieve the end of my pumping journey because I was feeding and nourishing a child and then it was done and I'm not having any more children. And so it was like my last time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I just wanted to go back. The journey home was really interesting because you can't fly with a baby that's less than two days old. So we definitely had to at least be there for two days, which we were. But he's so tiny. And so I had him wrapped in this little sling, but you could see his little face. And I probably 10 times on the way home had to tell the entire story of Darwin's birth because like I was getting a sandwich at the airport and the woman on the other side of the counter, she squints and she kind of leans forward and tilts her head. And she's like, is is that a baby? And I said, yeah. And she said, how old is that baby? And I said, he's two days old. And then she got all judgy and was like, you're flying with a two-day-old baby, you know? And I said, You're like, mind your business, and I look great. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, it was a surrogate, and she lives here, but we live in L.A., so we're flying. And then she was like, oh. And then literally, like, we got to the gate, and a woman sitting down was like, is that a baby? And it started all over again. And the flight attendant, is that a baby? So like, (laughs) literally, I was like the biggest surrogacy advocate that day because I'm like, I'm not going to lie. Like, yes, we had a surrogate. She lives in Nevada. (laughs) We live in LA. Meanwhile, on my side, people would be like, oh, wow. Oh, how's your baby doing? And I'm like, oh, I don't have a baby. The baby's, you know, with mom and dad. And they just look at me like, okay. (laughs) Uh, And you don't tell them the rest of the story. No. And you just let them wonder where yeah you get to a point where you stop telling people because it's so obnoxious and you're just like oh he's great Ugh, and it's just you easier know. that way right yep I'm just like I'm done telling everyone this story right and yeah we're done so I just feel like oh he's doing great and Move now on. how did you know this was your last time so every pregnancy that I have had has gotten harder and harder mm. and after four I mean Darwin that pregnancy was extremely hard on me. (laughs) I mean, we keep saying like, because you guys waited so long for a baby, the least that you could get was a good one. (laughs) So (laughs) he's a great baby, but he was just my, my pregnancy was just terrible. And I, and I'm afraid of what my next one would be like. Mm, Wow. (laughs) And it's so interesting because you 
barely ever said a word about being uncomfortable during your pregnancy to us. Like we had no idea that it was a hard pregnancy. Do you think you were keeping it from us because you didn't want to stress us out? I did not want to stress you out. I did not want you guys to worry about me because I knew that everything I was feeling was a normal thing. Mm. Um, so if it was something bad, I would have definitely told you if I felt really uncomfortable in a bad way. It's an interesting point too, because as a surrogate, I imagine it's hard when you're trying to sort of inoculate your intended parents from the negative side of the experience because you want it to be a positive experience for them, but you need to be sure that you are getting the care and the support that you need. So you have to kind of walk this line between those two things. Right. It's, it is hard. I think also, unfortunately, there are surrogates that wind up in not a great match with the intended parents. Absolutely. It can be the intended parents causing the stress, which is so counterproductive for everyone. It's my cousin. My cousin, I think she was so excited to do the surrogacy that she just said yes to the first match. And I tried to talk to her and tell her, you know, you got to make sure that they're a perfect match for you because you don't want to go through this kind of thing with somebody that you don't get along with. Like I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. this is somebody's baby. It's not it's not some random thing. It's a child. It's mm-hmm. a whole human and people will get crazy about it. So you have to make sure that you get along with them. And so she went ahead with the first couple and she got pregnant and all of a sudden like the claws came out and oh, her God. and the intended mom were back and forth constantly. And the intended mom wanted her on this strict diet and would tell her what she could and couldn't eat. And she had oh. her talking to a, a personal doctor rather than an OBGYN. And then my cousin got really bad swelling and they kept telling her, oh, no, you're fine. You're probably just too much salt intake. Like, you're fine. And I finally was like, go to the doctor right now because you could die from this. Like, it's not a joke. And she went in and, of course, she had preeclampsia and it was very advanced. And she ended up giving birth to this baby at 30 weeks. And the parents actually went into the hospital and said, if you could just hold him in a little longer, we'll buy you a trip to this place. Oh my gosh. And I said, no, this is your life. And like, you could die from this. So screw what they say. The baby will be fine. He'll be in the NICU, but he's 30 weeks and it's going to be okay. So you said that the claws came out once she got pregnant. So I'm, I'm curious, when you're meeting intended parents, how can you know? Are there red flags you can see? Is it a gut feeling? Is it specific questions you want to ask? Or... I think it's a little of everything. I yeah. think I definitely have gut feelings. I mean, I said no to quite a few applications before even meeting them. And I put a lot of trust into the agency. So when Nicole called me one day and she's like, Hey, I have this couple and I think you'd be a great match. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay, great. So then all of a sudden we're, we're matched with you and we're talking to you and I just got all these good vibes. And I'm like, I like funny people and you guys were funny people. And, (laughs) um, so it just, 
we clicked so easily and our conversations came so easily and I was like, they're perfect. And my husband agreed. And that's a big part of it too, is I needed him to feel on board with it because he's my support person. Well, we are very grateful to have had you as our surrogate. I know. (laughs) I'm so happy about everything and how everything turned out and that we have you guys in our lives because it's been a blessing for sure. And now he's eating toast. He's eating toast. (laughs) I love the picture that you sent me where you're like, he's eating toast. And I'm like, oh my God, he can't be this old already. It's crazy. Yeah, I did a little road trip with him up into Northern California to see cousins and we came back and stopped at a Denny's and for the first time ever it was like I handed him a piece of toast, like his own food like he'd never held a piece of food before and I just handed it to him and he sat there and worked on it he, you know, gummed it up and worked on it for like 20 minutes, happy as a clam so. (laughs) He's so big (laughs) Oh, well it's so nice to talk to you I I forget we're recording Well, thank you also for being part of my podcast. Of course. I can't wait to hear it. I know. Me too. Um, Have a lovely evening with your family. And we'll talk soon. You too. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me for the season one finale of IVFU. It's been so cool to have you meet these people who inspire me, comfort me, and make me laugh, even in the darkest of times. And I'm not quite done yet. We decided to do one more bonus episode, so check it out on your podcast feed. It's going to be one full-length live story performance from me. Since you've been hearing little excerpts each week, now you finally get a full dose. So hope you enjoy it. And again, thank you so much. And we'll see you in season two. The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaber, and Emmeline Summerton. And we'd love to hear from you. Please join our conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU podcast. For episode transcripts and to download our theme song, Freak in Love by Sam Shaber and The Happy Problem, visit IVFUpodcast.com. IVFU is distributed by Inside Voices Media. Our mixer is Allison Wilson with additional sound design by J.C. Swatek. Our live story segment was recorded in L.A. at the Rant and Rave Storytelling Series, produced by RogueMachineTheater.net. If listening to these stories helped you and you think they might help someone else, we'd love it if you could help keep it going by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also be a huge help in making Season 2 a reality by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you, and thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together, because remember, it's all about being a family. And I-